Do you know what your first word was? It's a milestone built upon months and even years of interactions with family, friends, and community. If you go online and look for lists of first words for some of the most spoken languages in the world, you'll probably turn up thousands of results, if not more. But for many of the world's languages, that kind of information just isn't available. In the case of Dene Bazad, also known as the Navajo language, there is little to no existing published work on how children develop their words and speech. Studying child language of all kinds can be the first step in helping us better understand the brain, develop language teaching tools, and sustain vibrant speaking groups. And every language is so different. In this episode of It's Probably Not Rocket Science, we're exploring research by one of the world's only child linguistic scholars specializing in the Navajo language, and an Albuquerque-based nonprofit focused on raising a new generation of Diné Bazad speakers. These are the morning sounds of Saad Kadilia, an independent Diné language nest in Albuquerque. Language nests are growing in popularity among communities that are looking to help younger generations grow up with their heritage language. And all day long, babies are cared for and spoken to exclusively in Diné Bazad. So my name is Cheryl Yazzie. Uh, I am from the Salt Clan, born for the Bitterwater people. Uh, maternal grandparents are the Water Edge people, and my paternal grandparents are from the Bear Clan. I am the caretaker supervisor, so I oversee all the caretakers that are under the nest. And I also take care of the eight weeks to about maybe 18 months that they then when the babies come into the nest. So I'm the lead caretaker on that side, but I also oversee all the caretakers as well. Cheryl earned her master's degree in Native American studies at UNM, and her thesis focused on language preservation and the development of a Diné language nest. When I was getting my master's degree in 2021, 2020, I did not expect to be in this type of position at all. But um, it's amazing, especially when you begin to see uh, the children beginning to speak even as young as eight months, you know, speaking their first language, their first words are in Diné. And so those are some of the things that is very rewarding. Cheryl helped develop and launch the nest with four other people, including two UNM professors. It was a core group of five of us. It was Dr. Tiffany Lee, Dr. Melvitha Chi, Warlance Chi, uh, Mary Whitehair, Frazier, and myself. Um, we started talking about it. We started meeting. We were meeting bi-monthly, then monthly, and then bi-weekly, and then weekly. And then we worked on a grant from uh, Department of Indian Affairs. And it kind of started us with um, reaching out to the community, doing surveys and things like that. And then we got a grant from Kellogg's, and here we are. We're language nest. We try to provide like a home-like atmosphere, talking to them in their own language, singing to them in their own language, kind of doing the things that we do, even like the foods that they eat. This is what you're eating today. This is what your mom prepared for you today. A lot of people say, oh, it's school, it's classrooms, but it's a nest, really. It's a nest. We're providing that home-like atmosphere, that loving care that you have. And I think that sets us apart because we are very individual with our kids. We look to their needs and we want to make sure that 
them themselves that they come here, but also as well as their families, they're um, well balanced, you know, all the all across, you know, physically, mentally, uh, spiritually, emotionally, you know, those are some of the things that we want to see in them because that promotes learning, right? That provides that safe space. And we also provide a safe space for parents to learn where there's no ridicule, where there's no harsh corrections, where we're guiding them, you know, as far as pronunciation and learning of the culture and things like that. Warlance Chi was one of the founding members of Saad Kadilia, and he now serves as the director. At Saad Kedilia, we are a nonprofit organization that works with language and cultural revitalization and sustainability with our Dene relatives here in Albuquerque. So Saad Kedilia is a licensed daycare facility through the Early Childhood Education Care Department, but we like to think of ourselves as a language nest as everything in the nest there uh, happens in the Navajo language, the Nez language. So from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. pretty much every day, you know, everything is uh, done in the Navajo language. Uh, so there's no English allowed in there. The nest where the toddlers spend most of their time is full of books, toys, and smiling babies, like many daycare classrooms can be. But a closer look reveals lists of common words and phrases children are learning to comprehend in their heritage language, and posters describing the seasonal lessons children are learning. Caretakers sing transition songs, tell nursery rhymes, read stories, and provide care, all in Dene Bazad. This is Cheryl reading Pete the Cat, which she translated into Dene Bazad. But the work doesn't stop at the classroom doors. Parents and other family members who may speak varying levels of the language are also required to do their own language and cultural work to ensure children have exposure at home too, and to create a community of speakers. They're required to take 100 hours of language instruction a year, which includes uh, language classes and then coming here to the nest um, three hours a month to immerse themselves in the language. And that's just some onboarding things and some programming that we do, some traditional child development and rearing training. We have a garden back here. We have a cornfield. We have a horse program. We have some uh, cultural programming uh well one that's been running for a while now a few years i think it's the which will be a sweat lodge for men and then for ladies it's a lot of our seasonal teachings so so we've done quite a few like uh, moccasin classes cradle board uh, workshops um, traditional food making and traditional parody workshops uh, we have a monthly culture night with the, that's incorporated with the language classes. The families are very supportive. Um, a lot of we we have started sending home homework, so the parents are learning alongside their child. But I think as as we go further, the kids will exceed their parents as far as understanding, speaking, 
And so we're trying to play catch up with the parents for now, but the parents are very, we have a very supportive group. Um, we do do an interview process before selecting families to come on board. There is a whole big level of commitment and dedication that we require from families as well. So our parents are very supportive and they are excited when they see their children understanding. So that makes them, ev- makes them even more, more motivated to learn the language as well. Babies typically say their first words between the ages of 10 and 14 months, but the type of words they develop is heavily dependent on the language they're speaking. Linguists have long studied how children come to develop sounds and words of majority languages like English, Mandarin, or Hindi, and in doing so created large banks of recordings, data, and information about words and child development. But few studies have looked at how children develop America's indigenous languages, like Dene Bazad. So Dr. Melvitha Chi is working closely with The Nest, which she helped create, to try and learn more about how children are developing the language. There are no studies out there on, like, first words of a Navajo child's first words, first 50 words, let's say, right? They exist for English. Lots of hundreds and thousands of literature is written on it. But, you know, for Navajo, um, there's none that I know of. Dr. Chi is an assistant professor in the Department of Linguistics. She's also the director of the Navajo Language Program and the primary investigator of the Indigenous Child Language Research Center, which launched last year at UNM to investigate how children learn and speak Dene Bazad and to help empower Indigenous groups to conduct their own language research. What we want to do is we want to create like a database and to study different aspects of child language. We can learn about how, for example, uh, language, how Navajo language develops in a child. If we can learn those things um, through studying their speech, then we can turn around and take that information and use it, um, like collaborate with teachers, you know, people who, who know how to teach language. Through publication, if we were to publish some of the findings, then Um, then those can be used by related languages. So other Athabascan languages could read some of those findings and they could think about it and then take that information and apply it to themselves. In addition to working with Sat Kadilya, Dr. Chi and her student research assistants are studying recorded conversations of children in the Navajo Nation speaking Navajo in the home. It's also a lot of work just preparing the data to get it into a format where it can be further processed for analysis. So basically what I'm talking about is if you've recorded, like I have, uh, child language, child conversations, you know, conversations between a child and their caretaker in the Navajo language, then you have to transcribe it, right? You have to write it out, and there aren't a lot of people, you know, who can do that work. The work is also time-consuming. It can take two to three hours to transcribe one minute of Dene Bazad, depending on the level of the transcriber and how many people are speaking. We code that information, like we mark nouns, verbs, what we call particles. We want to take a look at different aspects of the language. You know, what types of verbs are they using? Are they using more nouns than verbs? You know, what kind of nouns do they use? It just could be a number of things, like looking at demonstratives, Um, maybe looking at different types of suffixes. But to get to that information, it's just, it's a lot of work. But we also want to encourage communities to, you know, to take the lead and to drive those types of research work in their own communities. 
um, and that, you know, we are here to help train and, for example, like using Elon, if that's what they want to do or if they want a, maybe a more simpler way of doing data analysis, right, collecting data, because you can collect it through observations and taking notes, but you would have to be with that child, the caretaker all the time. What other languages make up the Athabascan family? All the languages that are related to Navajo. So Navajo here in the South, it would be like Navajo, like Hickory Apache or Bascalero Apache. From Arizona would be like White Mountain Apache or San Carlos Apache. So all the Apache languages and um, Navajo from here. I mean, it goes from here all the way up to the tip of Alaska. So there's other languages like along the coast of along the coast of California. So there's like um, Tsutina in um, right next to Calgary. So that's an Athabascan language. Yeah, there's Koyukon that's up in Alaska. You know, it's way high up there. So, um, so yeah, so all those languages are belong to the same language family. So if I meet a speaker from one of those languages, there's sometimes we can um, understand certain things, right? And for me, it's usually verb roots I can understand. Um, when they're say when they're talking, I can pick out certain things, and vice versa. When I'm speaking, they can you know understand parts of what I'm saying. They'll say, "Did you say this?" You know, I'll be like, "Yeah, yeah." So it, it's usually fun to um, when you come across a speaker of another um, Athabascan language, um, and and you and you and you speak, you know, and you share words and stuff. It's it's you know, it's fun. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I talked with two of the students working with Dr. Chi. This is Alec Goldberg, a master's student in the Department of Linguistics who works with Dr. Chi in the Indigenous Child Language Research Center. He first developed an interest in Navajo while taking classes in Navajo weaving during his undergraduate fine arts studies at UNM. So I sought out Dr. Chi when I started my uh, graduate coursework because the reason I started that coursework is because I was interested in the Navajo language. And so, of course, I wanted to work with her because she is one of the few uh, people in the world who is studying that language uh, through the perspective of linguistics and as far as I know is the only person who is herself Navajo and a first language speaker of that language to be studying that language which gives her and me as her student and employee a uh, like unique insight or uh, lens to to look at Navajo. Navajo being the third most spoken language in New Mexico and Arizona after English and Spanish is a really important part of the mosaic of language and culture that that is the state of New Mexico. Developing a better understanding of Diné Bazad and other indigenous languages could expand what we know about the brain and the thoughts and feelings young children are capable of. So in English and similar languages, people often say that children uh, learn nouns first. And you can kind of think that's like, you know, if you're talking to a baby, you might hold up a, I don't know, a stuffed animal to them, we'll say, and say, this is a cat. Or point to a ball and say, this is a ball, 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 right? And so that kind of reflects our 
Anglophone way of viewing the world, right? It's about like concrete things and what they are and who they belong to and that kind of thing. In Navajo, it's a very different language. It has no relation to English and it's a totally different perspective on the world and the things in it. And so perhaps children, if they're immersed in the Navajo language or a different indigenous language, uh, maybe their young minds see the world totally differently. And so the things that they choose to express first that you could perhaps speculate are, are very important to them, things they want to communicate to the adults that they're around are, are going to be very different things. And maybe that will prove that, you know, that noun bias, as it's called in the literature, uh, maybe that's only true of some languages. Maybe not. Maybe we'll find it's true of Navajo, too. But uh, I think what we're seeing suggests that there's a lot more to it than that. Studying child language is more complex than transcribing the words and sounds used by children, although that task is challenging and requires a high level of skill. Research can also include dynamics of who the children are speaking with, if it's a first language, and even what they're doing with the rest of their body while they speak. One student working with Dr. Chi has been able to see the variety of topics explored in child linguistics. My name is Kaylee Russell. I am in the sign language interpreting program for my bachelor's. I'm also minoring in Navajo. I have not officially graduated with my psychology degree, but I guess... My interpreting is my second degree. I am of the Red House clan, born for um, the Mudda Royal clan. I am half Navajo and Cherokee Apache. I've been working on gesture work as well as speech. When I was first hired on, I worked on parts of speech for her work, um, specifically child language and identifying whether they're a noun, verb, particle, and et cetera. <laughs> um, and then now I'm working on gesture where we are looking at child's hand movements and how they correspond with the words that are spoken and whatever vocalizations that they use. Why do you think this child language work and language nests like Satkadilia are important? You can't have language without culture. And so like that's heavily why like I feel like it's important is just because it's their heritage, it's their language that you will be passing down to them. And then hopefully that they will continue that into their adulthood and like hopefully continue passing that down. I mean, it's very important for an indigenous child to grow up with their language. Another research thing that I'm doing is like indigenous ways of knowing and like how you learn about your culture, morals, values is through like storytelling and then also like a lot of that is oral for indigenous cultures. And the some things that are in within indigenous cultures don't directly translate into English. And so like it's important to learn that because it's just everything's just tied together. Alec and Kaylee both touched on the ways the language and Navajo culture are inherently intertwined even down to the worldviews the language is able to convey. I asked Dr. Chi to explain how the Navajo language is different from other languages like English. Uh, well, Navajo is a more sophisticated language, right? I'm just joking. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> I always try to brag about Navajo. <laughs> but um, Navajo and English, well, I mean, they're one, they don't belong to the same 
language family, right? They're completely different. And um, one thing, you know, uh, English has a lot of borrowings, right? They like to borrow, and that's just the the history of English, you know, over the hundreds and thousands of years, it's borrowed a lot of words. Um, Navajo has some borrowings from um, Spanish, like like beso for peso, um, alos for rice. I don't know how you say um, rice in Spanish. Alos. Yeah. So, um, and there's there's some others, and. Um, and then more recently, there's probably like monkey for monkey from English, right? There's a few um, English borrowings. Um, one I heard is for nam nambo, nambo. I think it's for numbers, right? So like in like in school, if you're teaching or learning Navajo in elementary school, numbers is one of the things that they teach. So obviously, Navajo language teachers needed to come up with a word for numbers. So they came up with nambo. Um, but there aren't very many um, borrowings, right? Um, another difference is in Navajo, uh, one verb is captures an, an entire event, right? Kind of, you know, it captures a lot of information. So if you say example for a word like yishtla, that means I'm drinking it. So that's all captured in that one word, you know, I'm drinking something. Then you might use a word like to water um, to kind of fill it out, right? To is your noun, to ishtla. Nesetral, right? Nesetral. Um, I kicked you, right? Nesetral. So the U is in there, I is in there, the kick is in there. Oh, wow. Um, the kick completed action is in there, right? So they call this a, a perfective verb which is um, um, in, in English. So if I might, I might um, translate into I kicked you, right? And that's an English past, past tense, right? Or um, right? I will kick you or um, I kick you now, right? Right now. Um, so and then there are more, there are other, there are more complex verbs, right? You can add a little bit more information um, to it. Uh, and so by the time you're done um, translating that Navajo verb, it's, it's, it's so long in English, right? So that's why um, you'll, you'll read things that, that will say like a Navajo verb is equivalent to an English sentence or an English predicate, hmm. right? It's just it takes so many words to, to talk about that one Navajo verb in English. Dr. Chi ended up in this field because she wanted to study Navajo, but she had already become a certified translator through Diné College, and most of the classes available to her were not geared towards fluent speakers. A professor encouraged her to look into linguistics and potentially specialize in Navajo. And it was a child linguistics course that really sparked her curiosity into her own language development. I started to think about, how did I learn to speak Navajo? I mean, you don't really think about those things. Like, you don't think about your own language learn learning until you're, like, way, way, like, way older. And one day I thought to myself, how did I learn it? And, you know, I have to go back as, as little as my memory, you know, as little, as young, I think that's the word, is as young as my memories can take me, you know, and, and I don't know. I do remember my paternal grandmother who used to babysit me a lot. 
I remember having to speak with her in Navajo also. So I think there might have been some, you know, some some learning for me. I might have learned from her also, from her babysitting me. But, yeah. So were you a bilingual speaker from, like, a very young age? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yep. So I grew up speaking Navajo, and I learned how to read and write at a very young age, too, because of the school that I went to. I went to uh, uh, this school in Arizona called Rock Point Community School, where I stayed in the dorms there as a, as a little girl, you know. And and thinking about that now, looking at my own nieces and nephews, I was like, I was a baby. <laughs> I'm like, who puts a child, you know, in Aww. boarding school? Anyway, I was just like, oh, my God, I was such a baby. Um, so I learned that at a very young age, too. So it was because of Jill's course here at UNM. And so I decided to kind of just start looking into it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think I came across maybe one article at the time that was written in 1996. And um, and so I was like, wow, there's like, there's nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so, so then you want to then look into related languages. These, now these are the other Athabascan languages. So I kind of started searching for other studies on other Athabascan languages. And there's, um, I think at the time, maybe there was one or none. Yeah. There weren't a lot, right? Hmm. So then if you can't find that, now you have to go to languages that are similar. So Navajo um, is what they call a polysynthetic language. And there's a lot of languages like that from around the world. And so you have to look at those works next. And yeah, it's just, it's just been, um, it's just always been challenging, right? And just lots of reading all these books and trying to learn and make those connections um, and, and try to argue those connections as well. There's no one to have those conversations with who thinks about language the way I do or who studies language you know as I guess as a career right and who has their own opinions about it and they understand it them also more importantly them also being a fluent speaker and to talk about these things in our own language um, is there's no one there's no one for me not that I know of yet right it's a lot of work to do this data, and at the end, with sharing the knowledge, with publishing stuff, I think everyone wins. You know, everyone is going to advance. UNM's Indigenous Child Language Research Center and Sat Kadilia are planting seeds for decades of language and cultural sustainability, and they are in it for the long haul. But there's a lot more work left, you know, how do they sustain it outside the, outside the nest, how they sustain it at home. You know, everywhere they go, they're in English, you know, to the stores, the grocery stores, restaurants, on TV, on the radio. I'm pretty sure they hear hi about 20 times if they go into a grocery store. <laughs> you know what I mean? The people coming by and to the baby. So that's, that's probably like, those are real strong words. We say English words, hi and bye. <laughs> Within a child, I think speaking... You know, doesn't really start to develop till about what two, maybe three, four, and then 
when you get into about five, it really starts to pick up. So it's a long, slow process. <laughs> um, so it's just a lot of comprehension now. And um, I think the only ones that's, that can see that comprehension is those that speak the language. So if they interact and engage with the babies, they'll know, oh, okay, they know what I'm saying. I hope to see more fluent speakers as far as our babies, you know, to keep that going, that momentum going, you know, keep them speaking as long all the way into adulthood, you know, for them not to forget what they've learned. Because it's so easy with um, English just bombarding us every single day, right? In radio, TV, social media, everything like that. So I'm hoping that we will build a stronger community of speakers, even if it is second generation, third generational speakers, right? So this nest has really... Um, how would you say motivated families, even grandparents, to start speaking the language again to even their their other grandchildren? So um, that's what we're hoping for. We need more fluent speakers. Um, we need more caretakers. We need people that want to teach and learn and revitalize the language. I don't want to say revitalize, maybe sustain, because our language is not dead, but you know, just to sustain it. To help share knowledge with other Indigenous groups who could potentially use these research styles or implement their own language nest, Dr. Chi and the Indigenous Child Language Research Center are planning a first-of-its-kind symposium in May of next year. Indigenous Child Language Research Center will be hosting its first symposium in May 2024. And we want to bring together people like myself, researchers of child language, of Indigenous languages, of the U.S. and Canada only. We want to bring them together, have them share their work. We also want to bring together people who have open nests recently, or people who have language nests for um, children under the age of three, I think is what we decided, right? Um, and then provide a space for them to share how they went about those, how they dealt with their challenges, and perhaps what they're dealing with now and what's made them successful, right? And, and that's for uh, people who want to open a nest. It's for them so that we can open more nests across across the U.S. so people can, you know, start, you know, regenerating child speakers of, yeah. of their languages, right? At the symposium, we want to provide a space for parents. And parents are the people who make nests successful, right? So they're the ones who support it. You know, why do you support it? Why do you want it? Um, have them share, you know, kind of share their position on this as well. And all of this work is just to, it's just, you know, um, it's just to, it's just so that native languages can thrive, right? And, 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 and in this case, we're focusing on, on like babies, mm -hmm. right? And hopefully, you know, down the road, some of those nests will want to do the type of research that we want to do. Yeah. You know, if that's the case, we're more than happy to provide training. We're more than happy to provide guidance. Uh, we're more than happy to maybe help create research questions and how to like narrow things down and look at one thing rather than being over overloaded because you can easily get overloaded with, with this because there's so many interesting aspects yeah. of child language. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed learning about Diné Bazad and the efforts being made to better understand and sustain the language. Information on the UNM Indigenous Child Language Research Center and Sat Kadilya will be linked in the show notes. 
A huge thank you to Dr. Melvitha Chi, Warlance Chi, Cheryl Yazzie, Alec Goldberg, and Kaylee Russell for sharing their expertise and insights on this episode. I just have a few other things to share. This will be the last episode of our podcast this year, but don't worry because we'll be back in 2024 to help break down more complex topics through conversations with experts, creatives, and researchers at the University of New Mexico. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram and X, that was said with finger quotes, by the way, as IPNRS underscore UNM and on TikTok as IPNRS.podcast. You can also find more information about the show and our guests on podcast.unm.edu. A special thanks to the University of New Mexico Communication and Marketing Department for making this show possible. Thank you so much for listening to these first six episodes of our show. I'm wishing you all a happy holiday season and we'll be back next year.